Hey friends, this is Jessica Levity Day Lover, reminding you that you are not alone on the polyamorous path. If you're looking for peer support or coaching on your non-monogamous journey, and you want to work with the day lovers, head to remodeledlove.com and book with us today. Are you ready? I kind of want my coffee. Did you already finish your coffee? Yeah. Okay. Will you go get mine? No. <laughs> <laughs> Lest I remind you, I am eight months pregnant with your child. Oh. Just, just the canister, not even the cup, just the like canister. <laughs> He's a good man, y'all. He's a really, really good man. I mean, he rolled his eyes. He didn't initially want to go all the way upstairs to get my coffee, but he did. He did. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. You're listening to Remodeled, the podcast. Remodeled is a project whose goal is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships in order to include ethical non-monogamy, non-partnered, asexual, open, and more. We are here to redefine love. Hello everyone, you're listening to Remodeled, the podcast broadcasting live from the Dream Life Studio, and this is Mrs. Daylover broadcasting with me, my co-host, my husband, my needy pie, my baby daddy, Mr. Daylover. Merry New Year. It's a Trading Places reference. (laughs) I want to watch Trading Places. And welcome to episode three of Remodeled. Hey, so our podcast, as of right now, is at a total of 469 plays. Wow, that's so cool. It's so cool. So episode one is at 299 downloads. So we might hit 300. We're right there. Yeah, I've never had a podcast. And over the last 12 years, I have had several podcasts that I've done for fun. I've never had one get more than like 18 downloads. <laughs> Clearly, there's some demand yeah. for this information, which is so cool to see. So I just want to say congratulations to us and thanks to all of our listeners. And huge thanks to JD, who actually is going to be back for the next episode because I just want their voice. I love podcasting with them. And we have a couple listener questions that I just want their presence on. And in fact, we were going to do episode three, which is this one, as, okay, you can send us an email, ask us anything, and we're going to attack as many of them as possible. But one email came in that is so something I have wanted to do an entire episode on. Why are you laughing at me? No, I'm just excited for the reveal of this email. Yeah, so, you know, the plan was for episode three to attack as many questions as possible. But actually, for this episode, we are going to attack just this one email. And I want to thank this person for covering in one email every aspect that I have wanted to cover in a polyamory and parenthood episode for a really long time. If you remember from one of our first two episodes, I talked about the original vision for this podcast two years ago was called Polyhood because I wanted it to be all about polyamory and parenting and how they're not mutually exclusive. I'm just gonna I'm gonna read the email. Lay it on me. Okay, so it says, Dear Remodeled, your endeavor appears to be an incredible and inspiring journey to self-discovery and self-realization. 
But parenting is perhaps the most selfless and self-sacrificing experience and responsibility most of us will ever assume. How do you balance the two? How do you find time to date? I mean this honestly, no judgment. I know children have an enormous capacity to learn and love, but they also rely on their parents to translate the world for them. What are your plans if your child or children form a secure attachment to a partner with whom you eventually decide to break up? And how do you intend to frame and teach your lifestyle to your children? Okay, so first of all, I need to tell the truth about myself. Let's hear it. (laughs) And when we say tell the truth about ourselves, we're calling back to training that we have where if we want to grow as a person in order to be truly seen, we have to share where we're coming from and be honest about that. Yeah, so here I am saying, let's do this podcast about polyamory. Let's be an open book. Let's always have a policy where our listeners can email us and ask us anything about ourselves, our relationship, polyamory in general, something they're going through, only for me to get righteously annoyed and triggered (laughs) (laughs) at like 70% of the emails that have come in. And I want our listeners to know, and this is why I'm telling the truth about myself. If you hear righteous judgment in my tone ever when dealing with a listener question, unless it's some straight up fuckery, that's on me. Like I am responsible for my own triggers. I'm responsible for my own annoyances. And so you might pick up on a tone because I'm trying to be honest. And so I'm not going to hide that I'm annoyed. Um, And I'm not annoyed at the question I'm annoyed by what the question implicates and what I have realized. And I never want a single listener to be intimidated to write in because they're afraid they're going to annoy Jess. You're not responsible for that. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to be honest with you guys. And I think after I sat with my triggers around this email, I realized I'm not annoyed at the person who wrote it. I'm really mad at the culture. And I think that's a good place to say to the writer of this email, thank you for writing. Your interest is appreciated. And case in point, I wasn't triggered when reading the email. I could tell that the person writing was doing so out of a genuine interest. And if there was a tone of judgment coming through the questions, that was more from a place of not knowing. And that brings us why to why we're doing this podcast is because we want to share this information and make it available. Yeah. And of all of the lovely and accurate things that my perfect husband just said, also like, thank you for showing me where my triggers are, because whenever I get triggered, that just shows me where I have work to do. And so in general... Thank you. But I do want to say I'm mad at the culture because there is so much that breaks my heart in this question. And we're going to get into that as we dig into this email. And it's the person who wrote this. It's not your fault that these concepts are confusing to you. And before we get into like any answering advice or emails or anything, I think it's super important that we discuss our privileges and our biases. Because if you're listening to this, like you have to understand the privileges and biases that Joe and I hold before you can take anything that we say. It, it comes with nuance and context of those privileges and biases. And so first of all, I just want to say that we are white, that 
I'm queer, you're not queer, but my queerness aside, we are in a heterosexual cisgendered relationship. Um, you know, we are on the lower end of the income spectrum. So out of our family of three, two of the three of us qualify for Medicaid. Um, but within that, we we do really well. We're very well taken care of and my family has money such that we are never actually at fear at any point of ever being homeless, even if catastrophe were to strike us personally. And even though my family, and I do feel like my secret theory is that someone in my family wrote this email. (laughs) Even though my family doesn't understand polyamory, and I don't think that they support it, part of our privilege is that um, even if catastrophe did happen to us, the fact that we're polyamorous and out would not affect them caring for us. They would not disown us. Um, And I think... The last privilege and bias I want to put out there before we get into it is one, the ability to be out and not fear losing your job um, or losing members of your family or friends um, within the culture that we live in is not on the table. And so that's a privilege that we can even be out and talking about it and not afraid that Joe's going to like lose his job tomorrow. And lastly, I am wired for polyamory such that I really don't understand people who aren't. So I officially say polyamory, monogamy, it's all whatever works for you. And I do come in with this like, hey, you have to be who you are. And I don't like try to say that one is better than the other, but I do have a bias and that bias is my brain does not understand monogamy. And I have to put that out there before we start digging in. And one final thought before we dig in. We really shouldn't be surprised when getting such emails, when the culture we live in is zeroed to monogamy. In other words, that's the cultural standard that most of us are familiar with and are expected to fulfill. And so when we get these questions, it's coming from a place of that's the standard and I haven't been shown anything else. So therefore, I cannot envision anything else. That's brilliant. And that reminds me of this quote from the book, The Ethical Slut. The ideal of lifelong monogamy as the only proper goal for relationships is so deeply buried in our culture that it's almost invisible. We operate on these beliefs without even knowing we believe them. And thank God that you're here to kind of bring that perspective because you're right. The culture is zero to that. And I hope that if you are listening and you resonated with this email, and I really hope that the person who wrote this email is listening and that they, that they haven't turned it off because <laughs> I'm kind of bitchy. Um, I, I want you to start to question that. I want you to start to understand that our culture is zeroed such that these questions make sense to you but they do not make sense to me. And they're borderline offensive. Again, not in a way that you have hurt me, but in a way that I'm like, how dare you? To the culture, not you. Right. And to explain a little bit of where we're coming from, I might ask the writer of the email, what makes you think that polyam and parenting are mutually exclusive? Where does that thought come from? What's the basis for it? And unpack and explore that a little bit. And a lot of times, I think if you're really honest with yourself, what you'll get to is you can't put it into words. It just makes you uncomfortable. So you start to unpack, okay, why do I think polyamory and parenting don't go together? When in fact, many people could argue it goes to be- it goes together better than monogamy. And we'll get to that. It's just a feeling like in your third chakra in your gut where you're like, I don't know, it's making me uncomfortable. And therefore, I think they don't go together. But I, I really want to attack this line by line. 
So the Ooh, email an explication. <laughs> My English teacher heart is fluttered a little bit. So sexy. I also have to say, um, just to paint a picture for all the Professor Day Lover fans listening, he is looking like a fucking snack right now. I got him a pair of jeans for Christmas that ugh man. And he's wearing a solid colored t shirt that is like totally in his color. I might have to take a photo because you look really hot right now. Feeling good. <laughs> we might have to turn off the recording device. Anyway, <laughs> so line by line, your endeavor appears to be an incredible and inspiring journey to self-discovery and self-realization. Thank you for that warm opening. Yeah, and you know, Joe talked about that in episode one, especially where all of the quote-unquote pain that I caused you, you realized was not pain that I caused you, but was just more of a, ref- of a reflection of your wounding correct long story short you are not responsible for my pain yeah and that through all that time you spent alone while i was off adventuring exploring new loves you learned a lot about yourself quite true but okay so then they use but so everything that they just said they're letting us know (laughs) that in this next sentence they think goes against that first point But parenting is perhaps the most selfless and self-sacrificing experience and responsibility most of us will ever assume. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, every single day we learn this time and again. It's not about us. It's about our kid and what our kid needs. And our needs come secondary to that. Yeah, amen. And so on the one hand, they say your polyam journey has led to self-discovery and self-realization. But parenting is selfless. Great. Cool. Next question, how do you balance the two? How do you find time to date? I mean this honestly, no judgment. And here's where Mrs. Daylover is going to pop off a little bit. Get ready, everyone. So I get this question a lot. As a polyamorous woman who we have been polyam for plus seven years and parents for three of those, people ask me, how do you find time to date? Don't you feel guilty dating? How do you justify it? Da, 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 da. Now, here is what I'm going to put out to you. And I really, if you are feeling triggered or challenged by the idea of polyamory and parenting at all, I really ask you to sit with this question. If I were to tell you, wow, parenting is really hard and it's super easy to lose yourself in the mix. And so I have found recently that I have a passion for pottery. And I found a local ceramic studio where I can pay a a monthly membership. And twice a week, I go down there for a couple hours and zone out. And I have learned the art of pottery and ceramics. And during that time, my husband takes the baby. And once a month, they have an all-day workshop where I take an all-day workshop to dive deeper into my newly discovered passion and hobby of pottery. People would fucking applaud me. They would be like, wow, Jess, you are such a prime inspirational example of mothers who, in addition to being mothers, still care for themselves and still practice self-care and still find time to maintain an identity outside of being a parent. And I would do a a big post on Instagram of me at the pottery wheel explaining that I have really lost myself in parenting lately, but that this has been such an outlet for me. And thank you to my husband who watches our child while we do that. And the post would go viral and everyone would be like, well, reminder to all the mothers out there that you are still a whole person on your own and that you still deserve to explore humanity and your individuality while you're a parent and props to Joe for being such a supportive husband. 
can someone tell me why dating is different? And this is like, I mean, you and I have to speculate because I'm not talking to whoever wrote this email. So if you're listening to this and you're one of these people who are like, I don't think polyamory and parenthood goes together. And I have to tell you, I cannot count how many fucking times when I was pregnant with Aslan that people were like, so you guys are going to stop the whole polyamory thing once the baby comes, right? As if, again, as if those things are mutually exclusive. Why is me dating different? than me having a passion for ceramics. If I were to venture a guess, I think the person writing this would say they're different because the relationship dynamics and consequences of those relationship dynamics are much different and more complicated and complex to where it might confuse the child as to who's who, what's what. And so based off of that, it's different is what I think they would say. Let's say that my kids that that are that who I date isn't in our kid's life and they don't know them. And so mommy disappearing for four hours to go to the ceramic studio or mommy disappearing to go on a picnic with a date or mommy disappearing to go to a hotel to fuck. How I I think everyone listening who agrees with what you just said would be like, yep, he just nailed it. It's different. It's different when you're having sex than pottery, Jess. You can't compare pottery and sex. And I'm like, that's not you can compare okay fine fuck my pottery analogy fuck it let's say i have a book club of all women or just like friends and same same thing twice a week i hang out with a group of girlfriends for two hours and we read anti-racist literature because you know what that's actually almost accurate except our book club only meets once every other week and we get together and we talk about parenthood and how hard it is and we drink wine. So people will be like, well, okay, pottery and going to meet a lover, nowhere close to the same. But going to meet a group of girlfriends twice a week and going to meet a lover twice a week, those are pretty close to the same. Why are they different? We're running up against someone's triggers here, obviously, when those things cannot be perceived as the same. Which I want to point out, y'all, this is, again, this is not your fault. This question shows more about your triggers around sex and sexuality than it does about monogamy and polyamory. Because ultimately, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately what I think is happening deep in this person's subconscious mind is, well, a penis is going in a vagina in those four hours that she's away hopefully four hours at some point in those four hours let's be realistic <laughs> uh, someone else's penis that is not joe's is going in jessica's vagina during those four hours that she's away and thus my brain cannot comprehend how polyamory and parenthood go together and really when you get down to it i'm sorry that's what it is yeah sure and here again we run up against some cultural programming for lack of a better word we don't see successful polyam couples represented in pop culture or the popular media and so it's something that just doesn't exist whereas if it was presented in a normalized and rather plain matter we would think differently it reminds me of a friend of mine who 
granted, this person is older and a former sex worker, so they're not new to these conversations. And when I asked them what they thought of polyam, their response was blunt. One does the dishes, the other does the laundry. Any more questions? And so polyam becomes just a different way to reimagine a division of labor. Boom. Oh, God. Division of labor. Oh, so sexy. I Yes, to all of that. And this is why I get so, I'm going to call it passionate rather than triggered around this question. Because seriously, listener, bless your heart. You are not the only one who has asked us this. It comes up a lot. And my question is always, if I told you I was going to Bible study for two hours twice a week, and then once a month I'd go on a Bible retreat with women in my Bible group, you would fucking applaud me. Christianity aside, you would be like, wow, that is so cool that you have something outside of being a parent to keep your personal growth stimulated and grounded and happy and way to practice self-care, Jess. But the fact that I am going to see a lover who I like, and I'm, it's like, I don't even want to be like, it's not like it's a one night stand because I don't want to shame the non-monogamous people who just go out and fuck and they don't even have relationships because fuck it, that's self-care too. But I actually like the people that we see, we have relationships with and we like them and I want to spend time with this person. It's like seeing a friend with the benefit of getting boned. Simply stated. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but y'all jealous. That's what, if I'm going to be a little sassy, which I would not be me if I were not a little sassy on some level, you're jealous. I think this goes to the core of what we're talking about here. We all need different relationships outside of our family to stay sane and feel fulfilled. And if you're a monogamous person, you have friendships and other dynamics that sustain that. Polyam is just another way to meet the various needs of what makes a person whole. Boom. Cut and print. Imagine the insanity of me asking you, Joe, you have friends other than your wife that you see? How do you explain that to your child? <laughs> like... And to further unpack these dynamics a little bit more... This example has less to do with parenting and just my thoughts on polyam in general is that what happens if you're in a monogamous relationship, but you have a friend with whom you experience a very deep connection with, and it's not sexual, it may be romantic and unexplored, but that connection you experience with this friend might be at a more profound level than you have with your current partner. And so is that cheating? You're not having sex, but at the same time, you're experiencing a deeper level of intimacy with another person. And so is that okay? Well, in monogamous people get to draw that boundary wherever they want. And I know, I know we have monogamous friends who are like, absolutely, you can have intimate emotional relationships with any gender person that you want you just cannot physically touch them but then we have friends who are like no if you are if like in a heterosexual couple no you can only have male friendships and if you have a female friendship that person better not be single or it the relationship better not be emotional at all because like emotional fidelity and i mean the I could write a thesis on the absurdity and the lack of logic and where the fuck you draw that line. But the truth is, is I support couples having whatever boundaries they mutually come to together. So you get to design whatever relationship works for you. 
but I agree with that example that in a case that we were monogamous, some people would be like, oh, Joe shouldn't have female friends, especially one that he like has some kind of heart connection with. Sure. And this is where we see folks getting hung up on what poly really is and how it functions. And I have to say, looking ahead to becoming a parent, I definitely had some fears about how non-monogamy would play out with children in the picture. And I have to say, none of those fears have come to pass. It's been smooth and effortless and really plain. Sometimes we have partners who want to be active and play with our son and are really into it. And we have others who kids are not their thing. And that's totally fine and okay. We choose each dynamic that best serves the situation. No, and in fact, one of my favorite boyfriends of all time is responsible for getting our child on the potty for the first time. Yeah, this is true. This person has way more experience being a parent, has four kids. He's one of the best dads I've ever met in my life. Yeah, and young dude for having four kids. I have to say, watching him train our toddler to sit on the potty was not only beautiful, but masterful. Oh God, I love watching him with kids. I've learned so much from parenting from him. So, you know, I I would think we need a quick discussion on semiology because it's something we're probably going to talk about a lot. And so can you give us a brief explanation of what semiology and semiotics is? Sure. Yeah. It's early 20th century philosophy, long story short, the signs and symbols by which we interpret the world. So the culture in which you grew up frames the way that you understand it and sets you up for the values that you either accept or reject. Pretty basic concept. But when we, my partner and I say one's semiology, we refer to that particular world in which a person grew up, their family and immediate surrounding environments, as well as the larger culture. These things provide us with a set of options for how to interpret our experience. And the thing that we need to understand is every person's semiology is limited. There's only a very small number of options that we are given with which to understand the world. So a good example to look at this is when a person's semiology expands. You might hear someone say, oh, that's a thing. So when they understand that something is a thing that they didn't know was a thing before, their semiology is growing and expanding to now include that thing. Polyam is a great example of that, where for many folk, they just didn't know it was a thing. They didn't know that it was an option available to them. And so it expands their semiology in a major way first of all so hot ladies i was gonna say he's single he's not single ladies (laughs) uh yeah he can do that to you on a date and it will rock your world um beautifully said and it might more commonly be understood as culture so you are programmed within the semiology of your culture so then you go to someone else's culture and you'll be like why do americans wear their shoes in the house that is fucking insane and because in your semiology you don't wear shoes in the house and so that's probably more sociologically how people think of it sure and to fall back on popular culture and film we really have to 
understand and respect how much those things contribute to our collective semiology. When we talk about this idea of representation, seeing people of color or trans or non-binary people as the main characters or protagonists in TV shows and movies, it expands our semiology to where those identities are more normalized. And that is certainly improving in recent years, but for a long, long time we didn't see that kind of representation at all. And so monogamy falls right in line with that collective semiology. That's what we see represented the majority of the time when you look at this idea of finding the one or rom-coms or just finally arriving at that one true love. This is something that we want for ourselves as a result of seeing it represented again and again and again. And that might change if polyam were as equally represented. And maybe you would think of polyamory differently if you could even name in the history of your life. Think about how old you are and how much screen time you have seen in your the entirety of your life. And can you even name one television show radio show podcast book novel movie film youtube video whatever that has featured a non-monogamous character in a normalized way and the answer is 99.9 percent no you cannot and that is why you do not understand polyamory it is not your fault it was not written into your semiology and because it was not written into your semiology me saying i'm gonna go do pottery for two hours makes sense to you but me saying i'm gonna go on a date with another man while i'm married and we have a kid does not make sense to you that is all it is it is just outside your semiology but pottery is not and consider for a moment that it's entirely possible for this situation to be completely reversed we could be living in a world in which polyam is the normalized relationship model and monogamy is the controversial thing that we're all discussing on a podcast that could theoretically happen and what we're attempting to do here is not merely reverse the semiology and make polyam the dominant model over monogamy we just want it included in the conversation as an option that people have to level the playing field and thereby expand the semiology Totally. And that's all. And this is why queer people always, for all time, will always be the better human. That's my opinion. Because queer people break the break the semiology based on who they are. So you grow up in a semiology that says queerness is wrong or homosexuality is wrong. And the whole time you're like, well, I'm pretty sure I'm gay. Your semiology is already broken because something inside of you is not resonating with the accepted cultural semiology. And so queer people have an advantage in this way because we are able to break through the illusion of the dominance of the cultural semiology. And so if you fit within the semiology, the accepted semiology of the culture that you live in, you kind of take it like gravity. So you never question monogamy because it kind of fits with how you're wired and you've never been shown another narrative. And so you never question it. The same way you never question gravity. And then something comes along that makes you question it and you're like your brain, like the glass starts to break because it's like someone telling you that gravity isn't a law of nature. That's what it feels like to you. 100%. And that's why we launched Remodeled. 
as a movement is to help push the cultural narrative to a place where there are more options presented to more people so that you can find the alignment that fits with your soul. Whew. Okay. So she ends... I don't know why I think this is a woman. She ends the first half of this email with, how do you find time to date? And my answer to this question is I fucking make the time. And that, my friends, brings us to the end of our first segment. We're going to take a super short break while I pregnant pee. It's 45 second break. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back where I want to attack the second half of this email, which again is something it's not new. We have heard this question before, and my answer to this question is really passionate. And so this person says, I know children have an enormous capacity to learn and love, but they also rely on their parents to translate the world for them. What are your plans if your child forms a secure attachment to a partner with whom you eventually decide to break up? I want to honor so much the place, the deep, fearful place that this question comes from, from every single person who has ever asked us this, but it makes me so sad. And I just want to state here that this sadness is not coming from your email itself so much as encountering this idea numerous times. Yes. Well, and again, when you go upstream to the cause of this question, it's really fucked up. Not again, you're not fucked up. The culture has failed you my friend because first of all my first answer to that is I hope to teach them how beautiful breakups can be because even if our children end up being monogamous odds are that a majority of the romantic relationships they have in their life are going to end they will probably if they get married at 30 they may have had 30 relationships before then 29 that all ended and i hope that i can model first of all how beautiful a breakup can be how you can choose conscious uncoupling over drama that you can end something before it goes down into a fiery pit of hell like learning to break up with someone while you're still in love with them but you know this isn't working we're not thriving we should just end it like I hope to teach my child that relationships like humans die we all change and we all die and you have to learn how to deal with that and ultimately the question of what happens if your child forms an attachment comes from a fear of death yeah mic drop moment right there and it really goes to the heart of what we're talking about. No matter if you're monogamous or polyam, your kids are going to form attachments in this lifetime, attachments that will cause them heartache and pain. Some relationships will end, others are meant to last, and the ones that last come with strife and trial and the tribulation of getting to know another person on a deeper emotional level. Thanks, babe. Like, I'm not here to make sure that my kid never experiences the pain of loss. And again, and let me show you another way that this question is fucked up. Because in my child's little bit, three years on this planet, we have had to remove three people that if he were old enough, you know, would he would have considered very important to him. Three inner circle people from his life 
not a single one of them were was one of my lovers. They were all friends. But you don't hear this person going, Jess, Joe, I, I think that you guys might want to limit the number of friends you bring into your tribe um because sometimes friendships end and you have to remove people from your life and like your kid might get attached to them yeah this is a great place to interject that what we have right now in our collective semiology is a great number of divorce couples and their kids are forming attachments to their new partners and maybe some of them get remarried and so you don't get a work around the situation by being monogamous they're still dealing with the same thing and and i'm sorry but it just frustrates me that the monogamous semiology is so fucking drenched that your brain doesn't think of that before you ask that question this shit shows up in monogamy and back to we have had to kick three very important people and i'm gonna cry because this is how important this person was to me this person was not a lover okay they were like the love of my life spiritually and we called this person uncle so-and-so and they were there at Aslan's birth they witnessed him come out of my body they cared for him in the first month of his life and this person had to be forcefully removed from his life because he was an addict and you don't go around saying, I just think that you should limit the number of friends that you have in your life because they might become addicted to something and and your child will have formed an attachment to them and then you're going to have to kick him out. But you know what we did? Like, you know, my child was an infant at that time, but one day we will explain that that person's not here anymore because they're an addict and we won't hide it. We will take the opportunity to explain addiction to them. And the other two people we had to remove from our lives that weren't one of our lovers were narcissists. And we're going to have to teach our kid that some people are narcissists, but you can't go through life being afraid to bring people into your circle because you might have to draw a boundary against them later. And it just makes me sad that monogamous people, their brains just mental gymnastics around this and I'm glad that polyamory can show up to show this to you but there are reasons to remove people from your life that are important to you all the fucking time and fear that your kid might experience loss is not a reason to not bring people into your life wow I just re-experienced that all again and yeah this is a person who was very important and dear to us, but had to be removed from our lives. And yes, our son was too young to really know what was going on, but someday we will tell him that he had an uncle who had some serious problems and we will not shelter him from the very difficult and challenging realities and very sad ones that we face in this life and in this world. We can put structures in place to mitigate the harm and the hurt that he's experienced maybe we can help him bypass some of the trials but we can't completely shield them from those difficult and sad realities and so we do them no favors by trying to protect them in some cases Right. And so I remind you again, you are not responsible for my triggers, but I think that you would be offended if I were to come up to you and say, hey, don't you think you have too many friends? That could hurt your kids. You would be fucking offended. 
but people ask this to polyamorous people all the time and we want you to ask questions. I swear, I'm being so vulnerable. Please do not be afraid to call in and ask questions. I just want you to hear the triggers inside your questions before you ask them. Right, and a collective learning moment for everyone involved. And so to the person that wrote this, truly, thank you. It's an opportunity for all of us to look at the truth for ourselves. And it gives us a chance to figure out what we mean and articulate that clearly so we can share that information with others. And again, not to simply replace one semiology with another, but to expand it so that it is inclusive of more options and avenues of expression for people that work for them. Amen. And I'm crying right now, not because I'm upset at the question, but just because I'm, first of all, pregnant and I'm like reliving that last time I was this pregnant, this person was in our lives. And of all of the breakups that I have gone through polyamorously, not a single one has rocked me as hard as this breakup with this person who was a gay man. He was not a lover. <laughs> so um, breakups happen all the time. Friendships, when you quit a job, that's a breakup. When you draw a boundary from a toxic family member, that's a breakup. Like breakups happen all the time. And sometimes the ones that weren't even lovers hurt hurt way more, especially when addiction is involved. Ugh. Okay, so the final sentence, the final question of this email is, how do you intend to frame and teach your lifestyle to your children? And <laughs> this is kind of my snarky response is, how do you intend to teach monogamy to your children, dear writer? And if you have an answer to that, so there are two possible answers to that. One, you don't intend to teach monogamy to your children because it is the cultural standard and therefore you don't have to teach it. Or two, whatever your answer to how you intend to teach monogamy to your children, you'd be like, well, of course, Jess, I intend to teach them that it's about respect and boundaries and loving only one person and da 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 da. I would say then that's my answer. Like, however you teach monogamy to your children is how I'm going to teach our lifestyle to my children. And again, I'm sorry, I have to make fun of you a little bit. I don't understand why this is a question. Joe, you are a lot more empathetic and less, I guess, intensely wired for polyamory the way I am. So maybe you can answer this question in a narc in a not smart ass way. Um, I, I really don't understand why this is a question. How would I teach my child anything? That's absurd that somebody would ask that to me. It's very situational. Each relationship has its own dynamic and feeling around it. And so as those things grow, evolve and change, we will put them in the proper context for our children. This is similar or different to this relationship. And here's how. And he can begin to make sense of that as they get older. When they begin to have romantic desires and feelings for others, then we can have more pointed discussions about consent culture and things that are heavily important to us and really apply these lessons for themselves so that we can give them more options to go off of. And here, our goal is not to push a relationship model onto our kids, but to help eliminate toxicity. 
Amen. I want to reiterate my empathy for the person writing that when myself or Jessica or other polyam people get triggered on these ideas and issues, it's because the culture is wired a certain way. Okay, well... I think that's a good place to wrap. And I want to really thank this person for writing in. I hope that you did not turn off this episode. I hope that you made it through. And I hope that you're really able to sit with the reality that you are not responsible for everything that this email brought up for me. That is all my stuff. And I implore all of our listeners to write in with as much honesty and vulnerability as you have and be willing for me to have whatever response I want to have and to point out to you what might be wrong with your question because that's a learning experience for you and you shouldn't be afraid of being wrong. Right, and that empathy comes from a place of understanding that cultural programming is real and we all experience it on some level. It's very powerful and very hard to counteract. And so looking at it one way, it's not your fault for thinking a certain thing when that's what you've been set up to think. No, we're trying to defy gravity over here. It's a pretty supernatural experience until we get it normalized. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, if you're not following us on all of our platforms, you can find uh, Remodeled Love on Jessica Levity's YouTube channel. You can find us on Instagram. Home Slice Productions is more of my personal page. Your Judgmental Friend is more of our polyamory-based media. You can also find us on TikTok at Home Slice Productions. And if you love the content that we're doing and you want to support us in making more content, which right now would include getting even better sound equipment for our recording studio, you can support us at patreon.com slash homesliceproductions. You can become a patron of Home Slice for as little as $3 a month. And of course, our members membership packages are really fun and have a ton of personality and i would like to thank our executive producers of remodeled love of course home slice productions that's me and amy stashik moore she became an executive producer this month buying the highest membership package on our patreon and which only includes me reading her name in the first episode after she buys but i think that we're like in love you know platonically for now (laughs) Um, but I adore her so much and so I wanted to give a shout out to Amy and thank you for being an executive producer thanks Amy if you've got a question about us or polyamory in general or something you're going through and you are not afraid to see how we show up for that question you can email us at remodeledlove at gmail.com you are listening to Remodeled the podcast Fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone.